the Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. We gather for ordered worship to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, and to devote the will to the purposes of God. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered this day for our gathered congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. Today, we welcome as our guest organist and conductor, Dr. Julian Wachner, a distinguished alumnus of Boston University, currently leading the music at Trinity Church, uh, Wall Street in New York City. Our preacher is chapel associate Liz Douglas. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. O God, the strength of all who put their trust in you, mercifully accept our prayers. And because in our weakness we can do nothing good without you, give us the help of your grace that in keeping your commandments we may please you both in will and deed. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Our choir in a moment will be guiding us in the traditional Kyrie. This is a moment of silence. Marion Moore, a poet of another era, learned and then taught by her example and in her poems how to be different and to survive. Of her college years, she said later, I was thrilled by the independence and crushed by the homesickness. Marian Moore's poems are made of simple language, emotional honesty, personal self-restraint, and a commitment to freedom. You can hear all these in one line alone, she wrote. The deepest feeling always shows itself in silence. In silence now, let us come before God, God who loves you, yourself, your own self, your freest, own most self. Let us pray.
But for the grace of God, we would not be, and but for the grace of God, we could not love. But for the grace of God, we should not speak. But by God's grace, we live and love and speak. Beloved, hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you do not hear, but are led astray to not living long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and holding fast to him, for that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land, and the Lord swore to give you your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. The word of the Lord.
A lesson from St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants working together. You are God's field, God's building. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join with me in reading responsibly verses from Psalm 119 with the Antiphon. are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his decrees, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous ordinances. I will observe your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Please 
please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your words be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
When I was young, I often visited my grandparents' house. Sitting at the end of a very long gravel driveway, the old parsonage was a familiar home away from home for me. An enormous yard separated the house from the church, and I enjoyed having adventures both in the grass and in the trees, and also in the church, in the offices, the sanctuary, and the old baptismal bathtub behind the pulpit. My grandfather led and still leads a small congregation, one which he leads with love and an impacting physical presence. From what I remember during my visits, his home office was quiet. It was surrounded by books and papers scattered on his desk and couch, but his door was always open. Visitors would stop by unannounced throughout the day to say hello or to request access to the church just down the driveway. The phone would ring often, and I would watch my grandfather smile in the kitchen when he heard the voice at the other end of the line. If he didn't smile, if he looked serious and he moved slowly down the hallway to take the call, the long telephone cord following him, I knew what would happen next. After the call, he would leave the house to make a visit to a parishioner for reasons he rarely explained, but I knew were important nonetheless. He walked out the door, Bible in hand, making haste to attend to the needs of a church member. I greatly admired my grandfather. At school, when I was instructed to write an essay about a person who inspired me, I chose him. I was fascinated by his book collection and the time he spent studying. I was intrigued by his motivational sermons full of conviction and truth. I was humbled by his willingness to attend to parishioners' concerns and needs. I was motivated by his ability to respond to a variety of concerns with a deliberate and meaningful haste through which the urgency was noted, yet the process of responding was still mindful. Like a doctor, my grandfather recognized when to act quickly, what to prescribe, and how to delegate. Though not a licensed physician, my grandfather could be considered a spiritual doctor, focused more on the health and well-being of the heart, the soul, and the relationship with God in Christ's community. Doctors take care to make routine examinations and to create a plan of action in order to restore physical health to patients. Often, urgency is required and doctors act quickly and carefully, making haste to fix a growing illness or injury. Caution is involved, as is quick thinking, and being mindful of what's best for the patient's well-being and speedy recovery. Haste does not equate a sloppy way of approaching a situation. Instead, doctors make haste slowly, responding with both urgency and care. Much like a doctor, my grandfather was concerned with the well-being of others. He responded to the spiritual breakdowns of others' lives by offering physical presence, a safe space for confession and prayer, guidance, a course of action for right living, and ways to find a faithful and supportive community. Our gospel reading today comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In order for this section of Matthew to be understood properly, one must consider the sermon in its entirety. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, Jesus proclaimed, echoing the words of John the Baptist near the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. Jesus' command follows 40 days of temptation in the wilderness, and it precedes the Beatitudes, the beginning of Jesus' words from the sermon. Jesus knew how to preach a motivating sermon. He flipped traditional notions of right and wrong, of what it meant to sin, and the importance of resolving quarrels quickly, even in the midst of worship. Jesus started his ministry with an introductory proclamation. Repent, then listen. Repent, 
then learn, repent, then act. The term repent often conveys an apocalyptic message of impending doom and tragedy. Books and movies portray, portray street preachers and paranoid followers calling for repentance in order to be ready for the end of the world. Of course, these accounts are fictional, but the urgent message of repentance is not foreign to us. Putting aside our preconceived notions of the intent behind popular modern-day calls for repentance, we look back to what Jesus was referring when he preached repentance. To repent is to acknowledge a wrong one has committed, feel sorry or remorseful about it, and to want to do what's right. Following each sermon, typically the time we here commit to the prayers of the people, my grandfather invites anyone forward to the altar for a time of prayer, confession, repentance, or healing words. Commonly known as an altar call, this invitation is open to those wishing to recommit themselves to Christ or to publicly make a new commitment. My grandfather urged those present to look inside their hearts and feel what God might be saying or urging. As a child, I remember being in awe of those willing to go forward and to admit their wrongs in front of everyone present. So much humility was required to step forward and repent before God and others. The space dedicated to this self-examination was deliberately and intentionally set aside for making things right in each person's life, whether that be in a public display of confession at the altar or silently repenting to God in the pew. Repentance signifies a change of heart. Something inward shifts so much so that the thought and action follow suit, making a full, experience body, full body experience of change. In order to get to the point of genuine repentance, self-examination occurs. Self-examination is a discipline. How each one of us goes about it may look differently from person to person, but the principle behind it is the same. In what condition is the heart? Some meditate, breathing deeply, aware of the self and surroundings in the present moment while sitting quietly. Some set their watches so that a timer goes off throughout the day to be reminded to pray. Some slowly walk through nature, feeling the imprint of each step along the way. And still others may have a different practice that allows for space. Space to focus, space to breathe, space for quiet, space to hear and feel God's gentle urgings of the heart. Self-examination requires not only discipline, but a yearning for God's grace to be present and fully experienced. When I interned as a hospital chaplain, I often visited with older patients. They enjoyed my company and conversation. Their stories and life experiences were always entertaining, mostly heartwarming, but at times sorrowful as well. One morning I came to visit a man in his 70s. He was sitting by the window, watching the rain pour through the trees. It was a dismal day, and my pants were still wet from trekking through the storm earlier. November is often a dreary month, with the trees bare after a vibrant October, the weather much colder, and the sky grayer, not unlike our experience of February this year. As the days grew shorter and the darkness longer, extended stays at the hospital became harder to bear for many patients. I walked into the gentleman's room after knocking on the open door. He was sad, I could tell. He focused on the rain and didn't bother to turn in my direction. So I walked closer and sat down next to him. He didn't have to tell me the doctors had given him bad news. It was evident with every heavy breath he took. And without looking at me, he started to tell his story. 
Apparently, the doctor just told him that the infection in his foot was getting worse instead of getting better. In order for it to be clear of his bloodstream and avoid the danger of slowly moving through the rest of his body, his foot would need to be amputated. He had no choice, either take it off or let the infection slowly kill him. Infections can spread quickly if not treated. Just like physical illness, our spiritual health requires maintenance. Regular checkups are required to be sure the mind and heart are in a line with God's grace. Any illness or sickness must be dealt with quickly in order to avoid prolonged illness, destruction, violence, or continued separation from God. Looking inward to the condition of the heart is just as important as being careful of our outward expressions and actions. Each and every day we follow rules, obey laws, and know the differences between legal and illegal activity as established in society. Jesus, making references to the commandments in the Jewish law in our reading today, examined those rules and added upon them. Jesus challenged the interpretation of the commandments. Right action is essential, just as the commandments instruct. But even more importantly, a right heart is needed. Looking inward towards the heart, what thoughts occupy the mind, what forces are driving our actions and speech are a part of self-examination. So quickly, bad thoughts or negativity invade the mind and affect the heart. What begins as something small swiftly moves throughout the body, causing an infection of sin. The urgency of Jesus' instruction to repent isn't lost on us today. He had good reason to command those around him to make haste. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Fix what you are able as soon as you are able in the best ways that you are able. Otherwise, the problem will simply get worse with time. The patient in the hospital was having a hard time accepting the fact that he was facing a major change in his life. He was trying to come to terms with the reality that his life was going to be different than what he had known for so many years. Eventually, his health would be restored, and he would adjust to a new way of moving and thinking. But until then, and through these necessary changes, he needed a shoulder to lean on. He craved a listening ear. He desired more than simple physical healing. He longed for encouragement, companionship, and kindness. He needed to be reminded of God's very present and very real grace. Physically present, Jesus sat among the crowd watching, listening, teaching, and caring. Physically present, we are here together this Sunday morning to watch, listen, learn, and care. We are physically present in a culture that de-emphasizes the importance of presence in the physical form and instead encourages the demand for smartphones, social media, the internet, and television. Paul was not physically present to the Corinthians when he wrote his first letter to them near the year 50 in the Common Era. Traveling in the ancient world was not as easy as hopping on an airplane or turning a key in the ignition of a car. Paul was in communication with a vast number of churches, and travel for him took a significant amount of time. He was physically present when time and circumstances allowed, and when they did not, he sent letters or had others be a representative on his behalf. Paul's dedication to the growth of the churches is evident even in our reading today. 
I can imagine Paul shaking his head and letting out long sighs as he composed this letter, attempting to address the arguments that were infecting the church in Corinth. The problems in the early church were vast. How to settle disputes, what language was appropriate, who could live together, the importance of baptism, how to engage philosophy, what to eat, marriage versus celibacy, the roles of women and men, among many others. Looking back, we might think some of the arguments the early Christians had with one another were ridiculous. Today, students study philosophy in school. We learn and engage in many different languages. Marriage is common and even expected among some cultures. And baptism is considered a sacrament in many traditions. It's easy to think we've grown and matured and have become more advanced in our thinking and doing, but our troubles and quarrels are no different than those with which Paul struggled. We wrestle with philosophy and theology, the limits of knowledge and belief, rational thinking versus experience. Language in the church is being transformed to reflect a God that encompasses the full range of human expression and gender, but not without setbacks and roadblocks. The right to marriage is limited to certain people instead of all people. People are judged because of their race and often victims of violence, like Jordan Davis. Women are still forced to prove their worth and ability in the workplace, community, and church, and they continue to struggle for equal rights and respect every day. The setting has changed, but the arguments persist 2,000 years later. How to be in community must continually be asked if there is to be any growth, any renewal, and any positive change. Relationships are a part of community whether they represent the entirety of the community or parts of the whole. What a better time to reflect on relationships and community than Valentine's Day, which was recently observed. Some celebrated years and years and years of being in relation together. Others shyly enjoyed getting to know each other over a first or second or third date. And some gathered with friends in solidarity of singledom. Valentine's Day, that day of love and romance, embodies what it means to be in community. Time is spent together, carving out precious hours of the day to be in the presence of a loved one. Efforts are made to be on one's best behavior. Differences are temporarily cast aside. Love is the focus. Love is in the heart. Love is the action. Paul's letters revolve around conflict, disagreements, and how best to seek resolution. Despite our best behavior and our attempts to fully capture the meaning of love, differences will continually divide us. In the moment, we might not want to address a problem, whether it be an illness, an argument, or a looming deadline. Right living is hard work. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. We are very good at holding grudges, keeping our heads held high and not giving in. After time, though, one small difference can lead to another, and suddenly the damage is irreversible. Why wait to take care of problems, to resolve a difference, or to cut off a growing discontent? The challenge is not conformity. This is not Paul's message, nor is it Jesus' desire. Unity is Paul's concern, unity in the body of Christ. But being unified does not mean uniformity. Differences offer challenge, and challenge brings growth. How boring life would be if we all thought, acted, and believed identically. God created us each individually and uniquely according to God's purpose. Like an unclean wound, an unwillingness to repent, 
or a resistance to confess and forgive will fester, eventually resulting in an unclean and rotting heart. To act rightly is only half of the work. A right heart is also needed to best love God and one another. Distractions are everywhere, keeping us from what's really important or urgent in the moment. The things that are most important in life are often put on the back burner until the time is right or until they are a little easier to approach. Perhaps an argument with a family member is left unresolved. A confession to a friend is left on hold. A little tough love lies in waiting until enough courage is gained to take action. It's risky business to be honest and humble, loving and firm, brave and confessional. Being wrong is not fun. Making mistakes does not feel good. Sinning against someone else hurts both the accuser and the accused. But it is better to make haste to repent and forgive, being mindful of the condition of the heart, than to sit with anger, frustration, or growing malcontent. My grandfather made himself readily available to others, whether it was by means of an altar call, a phone conversation, the opening of his door, standing by a hospital bed, or a house visit. We have the same capacity for being physically present to one another and to God. Slowly and deliberately, with urgency and care, may we humbly repent, genuinely love, and earnestly live in God's grace. Amen.
As we enter now in a time of prayer, we invite you to take whatever position is most prayerful for you. Sitting, kneeling, standing, coming to the altar rail. As we sing our call to prayer, lead me, Lord. Loving God, almighty and tender, powerful and gentle, our brothers and sisters, listen for your voice in the thundering blizzard and seek your warmth. The earth seeks your grace as we roam in the darkness so we can see your light. As we strive to be reconciled with others, may we be reconciled with you. And as we humble ourselves before you, May we be infused with strength. And as we acknowledge our brokenness, may we remember that we are young, that we are growing, and that you, our mother, will nourish us and feed us, forgive us and heal us, and give us the courage to reach out our hands to our neighbors and be humble enough to grasp others' hands when they are reached out to us. Amen. And now, please join us in reading the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Well, beloved, be at peace and be welcome to Marsh Chapel. Take a moment, if you will, to use the red pads which will come to you from the center aisle so that we might communicate with you as you would like in the future and so that you may greet one another by name. Never fear here, by the way, to ask another's name a second time or a third time or a fourth time until we know it well. We thank you, all present and radio congregants and others, for your generous support of the ministry of Marsh Chapel, a heart for the heart of the city and a service in the service of the city with emphasis on voice, vocation, and volume. Your generosity supports women and men like Liz Douglas, who will become the next leading generation of preachers and teachers. Liz has created and led for six years our ministry here with the LGBTQ community. More than 80 others have moved into ministry through Marsh Chapel in these years, discovering their call as undergraduates and studying for their work as graduate students. Your generosity has supported them. Today, this morning, they are in service around the globe, in Texas, Oklahoma, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, Iraq, California, New York, Boston, and elsewhere. It brings us joy and pride in worship to think of them, now serving the Lord with gladness. Your tithes and offerings support the generation of another generation in ministry. Thank you. One long-term goal in support of our envisioned mission here is to complete the endowment of the deanship of Marsh Chapel. A $20,000 gift in 1882 in honor of Emma Spear Huntington, wife of the second president of the university, began this endowment, the oldest at the university. Someone else in our time may be moved to complete the work and thereby expand our ministry of voice, vocation, and volume. Thank you for your generous support. One other way in which your support has helped us is with the ongoing expanse of our music program, and I've asked Dr. Jarrett to say a word about an event coming soon. It's hard to believe, but next week is our third installment of the Bach Experience for this year. Uh, we come to the credo of the B minor Mass. So next Sunday morning here in the nave at 9.45, join the chapel choir and the collegium. We'll discuss uh, the credo, and then uh, I think Brother Larry and I are preaching next week um, on the credo, and it will be performed in the context of the service next Sunday. Two weeks after that, we will travel for the second time to Trinity Wall Street to sing the second half of the B minor Mass with our friends there at St. Paul's Chapel. And you're welcome to join us in New York, but you're also welcome to contribute to the ongoing campaign for what we are calling Marsh Takes Manhattan. You can see a choir member about that, but we, we'd be delighted to speak to you about it and delighted to see you here next week. And uh, I don't want to leave this moment without acknowledging the presence of my dearest friend, Julian Wachner, uh, who was probably the most significant musical person in my life. Uh, and he's at the console today and leading the Rachmaninoff uh, in town to lead concerts and recording sessions and speak to our graduate students. And I'm so grateful for his presence and leadership this morning. Thank you, Julian. Beloved, as the ushers wait upon us, let us offer ourselves in prayer guided by the choir's own offering.
Would you pray with me? Dear God, we give you thanks for the many blessings you have given us throughout our lives. We now offer a portion of these gifts to you in hopes that they may, have, may be of greater service to your world. In your name we pray. Amen.
friends as we go out. May God's Holy Spirit lead you. May God's strength protect you. May God's peace be with you. Go now in the name of God, by the grace of Christ, and with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen.